Welcome to Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Anthony Galloway, senior partner at Dendros Group and pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota. I'm Don Eubanks, associate of Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians. And I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group and Counter Stories producer. And Luz Maria Frias couldn't be with us today, our, 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 our fearless co-host. But uh, we're going to move forward with yet another grab bag episode. One of the things that we keep talking about is the fact that things hit us, especially in communities of color, from multiple places and multiple times. And it's never just one thing at a time. Um, and so as we move forward in this grab bag episode, there's going to be a couple of things that we do. First, we're going to start talking about some of the things that are coming up for each of us um, as we look at what's happening around us news-wise. But also, we're going to do a check-in with each of the hosts today just to figure out what's going on in your life. I want to give you a little peek into the things that are happening all around life as we continue to do our analysis, not only of the day's news, but of, of racial patterns, connections, and issues between our, our, our communities and within our communities. So you're going to get an insight into that today on this Grab Bag episode. So Don and Clee. Uh, we're we're coming off of Juneteenth weekend, you know, where and this is a very interesting Juneteenth weekend where, um, you know, now America is familiar with Juneteenth and we're going to have to have all of the discussions that go along with it, including the myths, uh, the 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 fake the the kind of fake. Oh, I've, I've always known about Juneteenthness that we've seen all the way around. Um but even while we were coming to, to the nation is starting to wake up to what Juneteenth was and is and, and the issues that it brings up, there are so many other things that are going around with us. So I want to talk about the first one out the gate. I'm going to throw it up, throw it across the bow. So in, uh, for those who are listening on a grab bag episode, me as a host, I get to just toss things into the, onto the floor and, and, and break it apart. So the first one, January 6th. The January 6th hearings are underway. You, you're hearing about this all mm-hmm. the way. We're, we're unpacking a whole lot of mm-hmm. things that many communities of color, we saw clearly what was happening. A whole bunch of white folks storming a Capitol with none of the consequences that we would have had had we done the same. Mm-hmm. What's coming mm-hmm. up for you around these January 6th he- hearings that are happening right now? <laughs> oh, Anthony, you just opened that door <laughs> wide open because you know me. I... It's always been hard for me to keep my mouth shut when it comes to anything relating to our previous president. I I think I made one post so far. I've made one post on, on, on Facebook relating to uh, the January 6th hearings. And all I wrote was absolutely incredible and frightening. Mm-hmm. That's all I wrote. Mm-hmm. You know, so the, these hearings are, are only kind of solidifying all these activities and things that we watched firsthand while it was happening. I guess for me, however, the thing that I'm flabbergasted with is because I'm, it's still not clear. You know, I think we have to wait for the last of these hearings um, to maybe get this question answered. But I think the question that, you know, is, is on my mind is, uh, what does this mean? What is it going to result with? You know, what is the end result of these hearings? So far, 
I've been able to watch white individuals in an administration literally try to circumvent the uh, the kind of process of change in this country to the point where it was, you know, trying to attempt a coup and nothing has happened to any of the major players. Uh, it, it literally blows me away. First, Anthony, one, you would have never seen us as folks of color. You know, we must admit, and even though I have a hard time admitting this, but scattered in that crowd of sea of white faces were uh, black individuals. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So there, there weren't many, but there were a few. Um, but the point being that if that was a Black Lives Matter march, they wouldn't have got anywhere close to the Capitol. Right. I mean, plain and simple. Black plain Lives Matter and, people were almost were almost tear gassed, peacefully protesting and, outside of the Capitol. That's right? what I'm saying. According and to so, the rules. <laughs> exactly. And and um. So for me, Which can you it, really call it a protest if we're going according to the rules? But that's a different conversation. Right, Go ahead. Right, right. But, but you know, but I, I get all I'm saying is that I'm just flabbergasted that other than other than the um, individuals who actually you know broke in, uh, forcefully entered in the Capitol building, many of them have been sentenced. Although I must admit, many of those senses are just mere slaps on the wrist. You know, we're, we're not talking major jail time here or whatever, or probation or whatever. But, but I'm just saying, you know, so far that's what it seems because a lot of this is swept under. Media no, doesn't even cover those anymore. Isn't it funny that the people who are actually going to jail are the small players and not there the big go. players? That's I mean, what I'm you know, saying. You yeah. want to talk about, you know... In, in so many of our lives, you know, in, in jobs, right, we do, we are the workers who do the hard work and our managers and our bosses get the credit, right? And this is yeah. very much the same situation. They, they've told the, this group what to do. The group did it and then the group gets in trouble, but they're off scot-free vacationing wherever they want to go still. They're, they have no consequences, uh, at all, and it, it there, it's it's to me, it's like how are folks not seeing this? Well, there's there's a great parallel there to what we saw in the um in 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 the moments where we have had accountability um throughout throughout history. You know, you go after big dogs when it comes to those who are in leadership, right? When we were talking about pr- uh, protests and movements for uh, amongst folks of color, um, I think this is a perfect example of the fact that when in in, in in predominantly white space, when we get into, you know, as January 6th was, um, the folks who pay the price are the folks who are 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 least benefited by the 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 status quo in the first place. It's mm-hmm. the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. who bore the brunt of of the carnage in the Civil War? Poor whites in the South who did not own slaves, but benefited mm-hmm. socially. <laughs> from the institution, even though that institution was the source of much of their economic depression. Right. right? And, and, right. And, and so we hear, I see here a very similar and striking patterns historically. There's also this, 
to to your point, Don, that you that you've made a couple of times, and I just I just love the way you break it down. Like my black behind, I'm paraphrasing a little bit because there was different language used, and but 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 my black behind is not going to get the same treatment, you know. Um, oh uh, heavens, no! Uh, charges for <laughs> inciting riots are commonly thrown out in public demonstrations towards a a, a, a policy. That has negative effect. I mean, the 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 sheer the sheer lack of specificity, right? Um, that so that that this that crowds at this time and in other gatherings have have had about what are we actually um, trying to to fight for, right? That are rooted in actual truth, right? <laughs> um, nobody gets held accountable for inciting this riot, for spreading the false information knowingly, um, for 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 really <laughs> teeing folks up to work against their own interests. Like that is, that, that's not only extremely problematic, but it's also to me indicative of why, as I talk to and engage with folks in my own community, <laughs> uh, folks are like, yeah, the January 6th things are going on. And anyway, another news. <laughs> <laughs> that's the feeling that, but, that, that but, I'm getting. You know, Anthony, but when you, you know, when you put that together and, and or when, when you talk about that, it, the thing that came to my mind, I was trying to think of maybe a another similar, somewhat similar activity by members of the black community where they showed up. And although it wasn't to, you know, overthrow the government, but let's use the Black Panthers, for instance, okay, in California, right? Remember when I went into Sacramento and they knew the law? And so when they went into the uh, um, Sacramento house, they were armed because the California law allowed them to be armed at that time. Peacefully, they did this, right? The other thing that's been happening, and eventually we might get into that, is, is the lack of, of, uh, of legitimate responses to the shootings in Buffalo, uh, New York, where black elders were mowed down by one white nationalist. And then we have 19 children and, and, and two teachers cut down by a young man in Uvalde, Texas. And we have not seen significant legislation addressing that. But the one time the Black Panthers showed up with their guns, a Republican governor of California, Ronnie Reagan, led the charge and passed gun legislation immediately after that event. Mm. And they changed the laws in California as a result of black men showing up who knew the law. Juxtapose that against what we saw at January 6th, and we are not seeing anything as we've been saying, right? I think that is a perfect example to line up as a perfect example to line up because you, even following that, and, th and this is, this is some of the things that, that come to mind when I listen to family members who were in Oakland, who were on the ground, who were there. Um, the follow-up to that, the FBI and many other uh, law enforcement agencies began to hot, well, they didn't just begin to, but they increased their pressure at hounding the deaths of Black Panthers under nefarious um, raids on apartments and things like that that ensued afterwards, after just showing up. And might I also add that many that that those guns were were unloaded and many of them inoperable as a strategic way because they knew 
what they were going to encounter as a result of making that demonstration, just to show the mm. predictability mm. Of, of white violence on black bodies, in, you know, over throughout history. But the response has not been similar or comparable to these rising hate groups um, that we know about. That there's document document. So 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 black and brown indig- indigenous bodies um, uh, incur a COINTELPRO pro level response. COINTELPRO was an FBI um, uh, program that that elevated the peaceful demonstrations and for civil rights to the level of, 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 of terrorism. And this is why we have a whole lot of documents that have been un- unredacted. There's a whole whole episode that we could do about the the un- the, uh, the unredaction that happened um, as a result of President Obama getting there. So we get the truth of, of mm-hmm. the FBI surveillance in those areas. But that was the response there. Now we have <laughs> these legitimate groups with legitimate evidence for hate groups and the rise of them. We know all these different things, but we don't seem to see a similar response or threat there. And so was January 6th hearings are coming back up. I'm now going back into a space of saying, well, I was supr- we were surprised at the response the day of. We were surprised at the lack of response afterwards. And, and now we're into the, into the hearings and that question of what's going to happen takes us right back into yet again seeing that the ire and the violence being willing to use by our by by our government against black, brown, and indigenous bodies is woefully different mm-hmm. than our white peers. And can we also say, you know, Don, you you brought up the the shooting in in Buffalo and the shooting in Texas and <clears throat> the the lack of action from uh, you know um, authorities, and then the whole thing that happened in Idaho with the white nationalists being arrested before a pride parade where, uh, you know, they're hiding in U-Haul trucks and the, the police had uh, apprehended 31, um, you know, white nationalists before. And, and it was like, oh, look at us. We did it. Pat us on the back. Like, it's, a, you know, and I was just like, well, that's your, that's your job, though, right? So, like, you do, you know... It, there's this failure in the system so much. And then when you actually do what you're supposed to do, we need to be throwing you a parade or we need to be celebrating you for that. And that just kind of rubbed me the wrong. And, you know, and then turns out like it was like some lady who thought it looked suspicious that called it in. It wasn't even any sort of sting operation or anything, you know, like no one was really, really on it. And so to me, I'm like, Okay, so we have all these tragic things that are happening and there's not adequate response. And I'm glad that there was adequate response in this situation, but we shouldn't, you know, that we shouldn't take our eye off the ball and we shouldn't have to be celebrating every time you do the things you're supposed to be doing. You know, it, it brings me back back to Frederick Douglass, who, you know, as we talked about last week, I played in the play Jumbaya, Kumbaya, the Juneteenth story, right? Wrong by choice, right by necessity. Right. Mm-hmm. And and oftentimes folks want us to to uphold one one correct decision to outweigh all of the mm-hmm. years of time of, of inaction mm-hmm. and then the continued mm-hmm. inaction that we know is going to be around the horizon because mm-hmm. folks just are unwilling to see the truth of the experience of black, brown and indigenous folks in our country. Uh, we're only as the date of this recording, we're recording this um, and on after the Juneteenth holiday. But even the beginning of the Juneteenth weekend of festivities, family reunions, and all these things that people have been practicing years before the nation woke up to it. June 17th is the anniversary of the of the uh, Dylan Roof shooting up Mother Emanuel. Mm. 
you know? Mm. So, so we're always, we're always in this space of going, all right, great. We're going to watch these hearings go out. You're going to take all this time to walk, to, to, to decide to, or not do anything or hold anybody accountable for the actions on that day. Um, while, while we are still having to, to move on and contend with all the things you just brought up, including these anniversaries, you know, I, I have to contend with the fact that my son's birthday will always share a date with the, the day that Dylan Roof went up and shot up this historic church, mm. right? This, this the historic church that's rooted in history, even all the way back to Denmark Vesey, the same church that he with Denmark Vesey was gathering folks to try to address the political issues and inequities of his own issues. I mean, they were gathering to address the, the fact that there was a law in South Carolina that said a white person had to be present in order for you to have a religious gathering. Mm-hmm. Right. Talk about solidarity with indigenous peoples who weren't <laughs> weren't legally allowed to hold ceremony until the legislation in the seventies. Yeah, we we right there with you. We 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 had to have a chaperone for the longest time to practice a religious practice that had been stolen from us and then given back to us with a bunch of redactions in this in the in the original document. So, you know, these are the types of things that we are compounded with whenever these moments come forward. Mm-hmm. You know, just and and. I know I know you're talking about spirituality and and whatever, but it just you know I just saw oh it was a little clip um, from the Smithsonian and um, History Channel. There was a clip where they were talking about uh, the Lakota, mm-hmm. and but you know the Lakota had been fighting after you know since little since a uh, little big since a uh, little bighorn and. Ever since they were gathering them up and, and putting them on reservations, the Lakota had been fighting the United States government for the return of the land in the Black Hills, right? Mm-hmm. And I, after 60 years of fighting, the United States Supreme Court took the case and agreed with the Lakota that the federal government did not uphold their end of the treaty by mm-hmm. keeping individuals off that land. And keeping that land for the Lakota. So they awarded the Lakota tribe, because I remember this. This happened like right when I was like in high school. Because uh, I remember the, hearing that the United States awarded the Lakota $20 million for the Black Hills, which they have never Come on. accepted. Yes, they never, Come on, tell them. <laughs> never, ever accepted that settlement. And it was mentioned now that that money now is well over a billion dollars. Yep. And the tribe, the Lakota people have never accepted that settlement because it's about the land. It's not about money. It's about that land. And that land is sacred. And, and you know, and so, so for us, I mean, I, that discussion about spirituality and there's so many things that we share in our, you know, in our convoluted histories here with, with these individuals who came across the ocean and, uh, and ended up settling in this land with us. And we have these convoluted histories with them, um, ever since, but, you know, that just kind of jumped out of my mind, you know, and when I when I think about that, because I, I think I mentioned also, as long as we're just doing a grab bag, and we're all over the places. <laughs> I often wondered, you know, in, in the other in a previous comment, I mentioned that 
when I was young, 14, 15 years old, I went on a few trips with AIM, the American Indian Movement, mm-hmm. back in its, you know, and and we were coming back from uh, North Dakota, and, and I mentioned that we actually got pulled over by the FBI. You know, mm-hmm. the FBI pulled over the bus. <laughs> we were all on it. And so I often wonder if, if uh, now I don't remember, I never, I don't remember personally talking to an agent because I was underage, correct? But they, I know they talked to all the adults there. And to this day, I wonder if they were able to identify everybody on that bus. So I wonder if there's an FBI record somewhere that I might show up. (laughs) Not that I would have a dossier or anything, but I'm just saying, you know, in conjunction to what you were saying in terms of the responses to the Black Panthers, to the American mm-hmm. Indian movement, to any any effort the brown brought berets. up by Brown, exactly, mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. Brown Berets, any effort of, of uh, extenuating our civil rights in this country have been met with these covert actions by the FBI and other intelligence and or police organizations. You know, if you've been wondering about what the response has been from communities of color, I mean, <laughs> I think the response, uh, is, you know, a, a, a good a good comparison is Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle's response after the um, election of 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 tw- in twenty sixteen, um, mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. where everybody was was so surprised and they were like, "Yep, what day is it? Tuesday? Yep, cool. What do you want to do tomorrow for dinner?" So, because exactly. the patterns are so consistent. Well, but there are some things that are breaking some patterns, and I have a, I have a problem with the pageant life in general, um, and the experience in general. But there are some major milestones that are happening in addition to land that is being awarded and, and, and redressed. Don, I think it's apropos that you brought up um, that settlement that is being refused to take because it'll never account. It is not keeping up with the actual worth of that of that land. If we're even going to explore that and that and in uh, as a, as an even option, but we are having continuing to have firsts here in 2022. So um, Miss Winona, Minnesota's Miss Winona, um, became Miss Minnesota last week, and the first Native American woman who comes from Standing Rock. Standing Rock She's Reservation of South Dakota, Rock huh? <laughs> so a South Dakota girl becomes Miss Minnesota, don't you? Miss Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, remember the boundaries for this state were not exactly. made up by the mm-hmm. folks. <laughs> so I'm just mm-hmm. saying, she's still mm-hmm. in her hometown. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, Rachel Evangelista was crowned the 86th Miss Minnesota on Friday, June 17th. Again, that a day that shares its uh, uh, day with my son's birthday, but also um, the same day that Dylan Roof shot up Mother Emanuel. Mm-hmm. We're just going to keep making sure folks are are reminded that we aren't far removed from these tragic moments. Um, and and she'll take the new title of Miss Minnesota, and she'll go on to compete um, for Miss America um, as a result of this. Now, I'm curious how this is playing out um, in 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 Native country because the Few folks that I've asked um, and checked in and be like, "Hey, how was how was this?" They're like, "Wait, huh? What pageant? <laughs> Who?" <laughs> and that's what? that's more of that's less of a measure of her than than a measure of the actual, you right. know, than a measure of the competition itself. People might actually like watch pageants in like Minnesotans might actually watch the pageant this year 
you know, with, with this first because, again, and I don't know why I keep being surprised, you guys. Like, when we had the first, you know, uh, API Teacher of the Year on, like, I was like, oh, I'm so surprised. Like, I don't know why I keep being surprised that these are the firsts that are happening. Uh, so, yeah, it's like, okay, now I'm, like, totally interested in watching, you know, and, and finding out more about her. And I, I know she did get a large, uh, uh, not large, but she did get a scholarship as part of the pageant, and she's going to law school. Yeah, she is. She has um, been accepted to Mitchell Hamlin School of Law to pursue her juris doctorate in tribal law. That's the thing. Of, that's the yeah. important thing I want to yeah. pull out about that. She's like she's she's about that life because uh, yeah. she's like I'm going into tribal law, and she currently mm-hmm. works as an Indian child welfare advocate and guardian ad litem, and is an enrolled member of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. So so like you know this. And it's one thing for her win, but but the point that you're raising, Clee, is huge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, when you look at the background, she definitely is preparing herself um, for work in her community, in the American Indian community. I mean, and the fact that she works as an Indian child welfare guardian ad litem, it, it just talks about, you know, you can tell from that background that her focus is on Native American, her community, and and she probably is going to do big things. She got an undergrad from Morris. And, you know, and and that's significant, okay? So those of us who are Native understand the significance of that because Morris at that time, University of Minnesota Morris, is, is a land-grant university, part of the University of Minnesota system. But it was at that time the only location that offered uh, tuition, tuition-free education to Native Americans. And Don, can you describe the land grant? Well, you know, and we've I've, we've talked about that before. So so what 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 is meant by the land grant is that as the United States signed treaties with tribes throughout mm-hmm. the United States and the and the and the tribes ceded large chunks of land the value of that land was then turned around and used to fund colleges and universities throughout the United States, from Harvard to the University of Minnesota, all clear out to California. So they're referred to as land grants because they were, they were huge chunks of money that were drawn against the land that was taken from Native Americans. And in many instances, like the University of Minnesota, yeah, it kept them afloat, right? It kept them alive. It kept those institutions going. So they received this money, which was a result of land taken by tribes in the United States. So the University of Morris campus offered tuition free for Native mm-hmm. Americans who are associated with this area. Well, she says that in... In the Winona Post, she actually made a comment. She says, to be the first Indigenous Miss Minnesota is the honor of a lifetime. And it's always been my goal to put community and culture at the heart of everything I do and represent. So she's saying very clearly um, that, that that's her intent to bring forward. She also goes on to say that that um, she's proud to be the representation that she, she said, I'm proud to be the representation that I needed to see as a um, as a little girl, and hope to inspire our children to always reach for their dreams, no matter their background. So again, you know, we've got these first, regardless of what you feel about the pageant, you know, system or process on its own, we are still in a space of of seeing the representation. Uh, uh, 
Commissioner Tony Carter is retiring at the end of this year mm-hmm. as the first mm-hmm. black woman to be a county commissioner. Um, we've only increased that number to two since she came since she came into the fold. And so, you know, for all the folks who are who are like we're we're talking about this diversity stuff too much and it's and it's everywhere and all these kinds of things. Well, no, we don't really have a good track record of actually moving the needle on this because in many places we're still having firsts that 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 should not be. And so for anybody who's who who is questioning why we need to continue to do this work, you're not paying very much attention at all to the actual <laughs> data and reality. Um, you get out of your bubble and start to see what the actual reality is out there. So from from so you know, as much as we get investment in one area, it's also a reminder that we've got so much work left to do. And so that that, that brings me to this question uh, in our ba- in our grab bag. You know, given that there is so much work to do, we've got January sixth. We've got um, you know this first min- Miss Miss Minnesota. I also want to put onto the table um, the fact that we are continuing to have some movements and things that we are fighting with here in locally in Minnesota, still relating to both George Floyd and that whole week leading up to Dante Wright. So, so two, two newer developments. We have um, the case being moved to October for the other officers, mm-hmm. or for two of the other officers that were involved in the killing of George Floyd. And uh, we have the Wright family receiving one of the largest settlements uh, because of the wrongful death um, in there, uh, understand Dante Wright was was killed uh, by uh, a police officer in Brooklyn Center. Um, uh, the week of the the week that we heard the result or the verdict, while we were waiting on the verdict, Dante Wright was killed, and we had to deal with mm-hmm. yet another unarmed um, death by officers. And so uh, we, uh, Kim Potter, the officer in that case, was convicted of manslaughter, um, and now the Wright family. And does anybody know the the Number, like this is a huge settlement. It's a three point two five million dollar settlement, and I think it's the third largest payout. Third largest, third largest payout in in Minnesota history. You know, and and it's you know how do how do you how do you monetize the death of your child, and not and I'm not and I'm not stating that in terms of the parents you know for the re- for the award that they just received i i i'm kind of asking that as a generalized you know but what figure do you put on life and um and so while this is the third largest payout it i you know a part of me thinks that none of these payouts are could they can't replace the life it it you know it it I don't know I I don't even know where I'm going with that so I I have you know so, so many mixed it, it it's just it's just that the state of Minnesota um the state of Minnesota has paid out I think these are paid out yeah th- these are paid out by the city uh, so it's the city of yeah, Brooklyn Center city. but but particularly the the city of Minneapolis has paid out so much money. Mm-hmm. For, um, for p- what police officers have done to its population, specifically its black and brown and then other in- in- indigenous, uh, and there are some white folks that, that, uh, they have messed up also, but, you know, lot, huge amounts of money that the they city paid has out, paid uh, out. The city of Minneapolis paid out 27 million to the family of George Floyd. 
and 20 million to the family of Justine Ruschek um, back in 2017. And this is, uh, you know, probably the largest coming out of Brooklyn Center, uh, the city payment. And, you know, how much of this has to do with, with, you know, who their mayor is, right? If this had happened in a different in a different suburb with a white mayor, would this have not, would this settlement be much less? Well, also, I mean, you got to take into account then there too, also the tax base of Brooklyn Center versus another, another, right? There, yes, there's, yes. there's a whole lot of factors in those civil cases. This being the third largest in the state, you've read the first two and then this one follows that. Um, but, but it's not settled yet, largely because the, the lawyers for the Wright family um, have, de- have demands in their agreement um, for substantial and meaningful non-monetary relief. So we're talking, you know, as part of, of the settlement, it's not just the money towards the family. To your point, Don, right, we know that there is no, bring, there is no amount mm. of money that can bring their mm. son back. But um, they had in there measures to train police officers, de-escalation, um, permanent memorial, um, um, you know, ongoing training, mm-hmm. you know, changing the even the structure and the way. Like, like, that has always been part of the demands of the family going all the way forward. And I just want to point. I just want to to, to call attention to to Dante Wright's um, family, in particular his mother, Katie Wright. Um, in all of this, you know, she she has taken. If we want to give some props and honor, I'm, I need to give props and honor to the Wright family that um, his his mother and father have have turned this experience and tried to do as much as they could to make this experience have some lasting effect and change beyond. Um, just getting, you know, the 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 pittance of money paid out um, for the wrongful death of their child. Mm-hmm. Uh, both both her and in all the other mothers of lost folks who she's joined along with, and have continued to make this push so that this is about something larger than what's there. I'm of the I'm I'm in firm agreement that 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 it, we, demonstrations haven't worked. <laughs> I mean, uh, a precinct burned down by outside agitators from the protesters who were actually there, regardless of who who burned down the, the, that third precinct space. Uh, a precinct has been burned down. <laughs> uh, folks have used every measure to try to, to cause some change in there. If I can make it hugely expensive to kill black and brown bodies, I mean, I mean, at some point, you just got to throw everything you can at there. And and, and if it makes yeah. you, if yeah. it spurs some 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 kind of movement somewhere, I mean... At this point, we're trying to do whatever we can. Hit them in the hit them in the pocketbooks, because doesn't yeah, it doesn't seem like you know the other stuff is really seeping through the the brains of the people who get to make these decisions or make these systemic changes, right? We may be able to um, have rallies and marches and change the minds of community members, but it doesn't ch- necessarily mean we're going to change the minds of legislators or police chiefs or those sorts of folks. And before we move on to the next subject, I, I'm sorry the the professor in me, the social work professor in me latched on to a quick thing you mentioned in your explanation, Anthony, and that was, Oh, it's because of the tax base. And then very quickly, right. And so what immediately jumped to my mind is that Brooklyn center when I was growing up, when I was in high school in the 70s, it was totally different than the Brooklyn Center now. Mm-hmm. So, and when you mentioned tax base, <laughs> I went, wow, exactly. Because we are seeing what's happening in Brooklyn Center is what happened in the inner cities 
in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and 70s, right? With white flight. And so, and we're, and we're seeing the expansion because uh, Brooklyn Center would be considered a first-ring suburb. Mm-hmm. And the first-ring suburbs are now going through that same transformation that the inner cities did back in, uh, in during urban development. And so the fact that you mentioned tax base and, you know, and it just struck me that, my God, <laughs> we're watching <laughs> that all over again in the first and second ring suburbs. Um, and I just thought I would point that out because that, yeah. that would be something I would point out to my students uh, while we were talking about these racial and ec- inequities that exist. Yeah, and there is and, a, and, um, there is an insurance trust fund that that they might be digging into for the settlement that was set up by the League of Minnesota Cities as well. And so that might also be another place where they're drawing funds to pay such a significant uh, settlement. Right. And, and, and I just wanted to point out that the, the significance in comparison to the, to the tax base is something that, 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 that hugely matters here, but now also they're going to have to contend with an insurance going forward. Mm. Um, there's an episode of better call Saul where, you know, no spoilers, but you know, he has a brother who is going through some mental health things and that becomes known to the insurance company who insures the law firm that his brother was a partner of and founded this major law firm in that storyline. And I just, I'm, I'm, I'm making my way through it, so that's why it comes, comes to mind. But, but underst- you know, one of the things that we need to, to, to put onto the mix is that now that Brooklyn Center has had an experience like this, the, the, um, uh, Georgia, uh, who, uh, in the death of Ahmaud Arbery, um, that city is going to have to continue with the same thing because now you have proven <laughs> that things like this are possible to happen in your city. And that may mm. have a huge deal on how you move forward as a city, how you account for the insurance that you need to have. Do as, a, as we as a city now have to, um, you know, increase our... Ri- is there a rider? I want to know. In, <laughs> in, in, in insurance policies now for cities that have to account for unarmed deaths of citizens given yes. all of these high profile things like like these are yes. some of the things that my nerd brain starts to go into as a result of this new reality i want to juxtapose that again following that pattern with january 6th i'm curious are there similar considerations being made for the activities of hate crimes which are up and the mm. experiences that are happening there because there are civil suits Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, as a result of, of of hate crimes, there's there's a, a organization that has to happen with the rise in hate crimes that are around, and I'm just curious for January sixth, <laughs> um, as they continue to do their thing, I'm wondering if the city, if DC, is going to have to contend with a different level of insurance, uh, you know, cost because for some reason we don't tend to take white violence as seriously as we take black, brown, and indigenous violence. I, mm-hmm. it, it, th- these are some of the wonderings that come up. So, so given that we have a lot to worry about, I think it's a long time past as we close out our show today to do a quick check-in on U.S. Counter-Story crew members. You know, we've talked about, you know, uh, you know three, three kind of areas of, of, of conversation as we, as we move here, but we haven't in a while just done a check-in to say, what's up with you? How are you doing in life? Let's, let's check in with our, our, our members today. So, Hlee, um, <laughs> we've... Yeah. <laughs> There's a whole lot going on. What's coming up for you in life? 
Well, um, folks who may follow us on socials may notice that we were really bad at posting in the last week or two. And that's mainly because uh, the Rona got me. It's it's hard, especially when in Hmong families, when, you know, we get together so often and um, every event is, is so important. And um, so, you know, the coronavirus really did make it through my family. And uh, my husband got it first. And, um, you know, he was in bed for two days and then he came out of it and then I got it. And I thought, oh, I'll be in bed for two days and I'll come out of it. And that was not the case. And that, uh, you know, this virus really hits everybody very differently. Um, we're all boosted, vaccinated, you know. And so some of uh, the f- folks in my family who had gotten coronavirus um, in these pa- this past month or so, some of them had no symptoms. This virus is still around and, and it, you know, my brain's still a little foggy. I'm still, you know, have a, a lingering cough, but, you know, and, and in this work environment, too, and I had to cancel so many meetings while I was sick. And, you know, a lot of the time I kept saying, oh, maybe I can join via Zoom. And my clients were like, no, 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 don't, don't even try. And it's like, what is this built into us in this country of like being a workaholic? Right. Where and I just had this conversation with my client this morning when I had and when we rescheduled the meeting and I told her, I was like, I had offered to zoom in. But then, of course, that day of I would not have been able to focus on anything anyway. It took me an hour to write my out of office reply. And I still had a ton of typos because my brain just like was not functioning. And she was just like, yeah, when she, when her daughter had the coronavirus, her daughter kept trying to do Zoom meetings, you know, and stuff. And it's like, okay, we need in this country to really just take a step back from being such workaholics, especially when we're so sick. And so that's what's on my mind. You know, it's it's funny that you mentioned that it's, as, as we record this, um, the vaccine has now been approved for um, mm-hmm. the youngest in our population. And, and just as I hear your story in there, um, I have a lot of parents in my congregation who mm-hmm. who have been waiting for this moment um, to come back out. And and they're they're still um, having to have and contend with conversations around the fact that that. You are protected and your body now has a fighting chance to do something much better and it's not going to be dire like it was before necessarily mm-hmm. in the long term. However, <laughs> however, getting sick is still a, a, a real possibility and it can mm-hmm. really, really take you out for those who, who respond in that way and aren't asymptomatic. So I, I'm, I'm, you know, grateful for the reminder, but sorry for what you experienced. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like, you know, a, a lot of, for a lot of Hmong people, it's like we've come to this country and uh, they have health care here where we really didn't have access to that where we came from. And so it's like, oh, you have a cough. Go to the doctor right now. So it's like everything is like, you know, telling us to go to the doctor. And I was just like, you know, we're at a point because we're vaccinated and boosted and we our symptoms are not dire that we don't have to overload the hospitals with our cases. My mom was able to get a virtual appointment with her doctor and got the medication needed, and she was back up on her feet within a day. So there are a lot of options, and, you know, you don't need to be bombarding the hospitals, but, you know, over-the-counter medicine and getting um, the medication that is available now via a virtual visit. I mean, those those are good options. We're able to stay home and quarantine and and be back on our feet in a week 
Right. And in that week, you know, we're able to spend time with my husband and binge a bunch of TV shows. <laughs> so, you know, it, 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 I don't want I like I, I was like afraid of saying I mean, I was afraid of going online and telling people on socials that I had coronavirus because I didn't want people to be like, oh, you got coronavirus, but you're vaccinated and boosted. So that means nothing. You know, being vaccinated and boosted means nothing. And that's not the case at all. Because like I said, it affected everybody in my family differently. The elders barely got sick and the younger, young kids got sicker, you know. And so it it affects every single person differently. And I don't want to try to, uh, you know, I don't want people to take away from this story that being vaxxed and boosted doesn't help with, you know, if you actually catch COVID. Because I don't think that's the case at all. And the, the data backs you up all the way. It is very, 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 very clear that the folks who are still dying um, and having huge complications and issues with 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 the virus are the unvaccinated. The, the numbers mm-hmm. are just so clear. There is no way to shake that if you're actually going to be honest with data and facts in front of you. So let's just exactly. make that statement and be clear on that point, uh, brother Don. What's 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 how are you giving all the stuff we're talking about getting through? For me, it's a couple of things. One, you know, I retired a year ago and, and, you know, June 15th. So it's been officially a year since I retired. Um, however, I listened to my colleague Hilly share her experience. Some other close friends of mine, her and her husband just both went through a period of COVID. They got the medication to go along with it. Um, you know, I have enough. I have enough health categories that I can check off that I've always considered myself in that high risk category. And so I, you know, have not mingled <laughs> with humanity now for over two years, you know, because even prior to me retiring, my classes were via Zoom. I've been able to have um, a couple of lunches outside on a patio. Having pho, I mean, you know, with either a, a couple of folks in my family or some friends, but we're outside. And so, and it's a small group. So even, even doing that, um, makes me nervous, even though I'm outside, right? So for me, I think, I think what I'm dealing with is that it's impacting my mental health. You throw in the fact that um, you know, in the past 25 years, I've been uh, suffering with um, bad knees. My b- body mass index is above the recommended um, recommended level, meaning I carry too much weight, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of a catch-22. Prior to my knees going bad, I used to be able to jog and do all those physical activities, that helped kept the weight off. Since my knees have degenerated and my physical activity has gone down, through the years my weight has gone up. Now my weight is such that I have too much weight on my structure uh, for them to replace my knees. They won't heal correctly. Prior, right two years ago, prior to COVID, I had uh, joined a New Brighton Community Gym with the rest of these senior citizens. And I was able to do the elliptical machine with 
cortisone shots for three months. But in that three months time, watching a doing a low carb diet, I I was able to kind of walk off fifty pounds. I was about 20, 30 pounds from my goal when COVID hit. Mm. Since COVID mm. hit, I have not gone back inside a gym. The weight, 40 of those pounds have come back on. It's been my mental health. I have to, I have to be with others in order to improve my mental health. And sometimes I wonder if I even get over paranoid about COVID. You know what I mean? I yeah. mean, you know, the fact that I'll drive. I drove over to the American Indian Family Center, was having a gathering, a, a kind of a reopening mm-hmm. uh, uh, where they were going to allow clients back in and the whole nine yards. They were outside. They had a food truck there. They were serving Indian tacos. And even though that was would have been off my diet, I drove all the way over there, <clears throat> found a place to park right next to the food truck. But there were probably 50 or 60 people crammed in this little parking lot. And I was afraid to get out of the car and go say hi, Mm. even though it was outside. And so the fact that COVID has me to that point, because I feel like I'm a hermit. You know what I mean? And so it is, it's impacting my my, uh, mental health in terms of that, because I am a social animal. (laughs) I thrive being around other human beings mm-hmm. and 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 not to be able to do that for two years is really begin to wear away at me it's, it's i'm like the opposite i'm like i i don't need to see other people anymore i can see you guys all on the screen i'm i'm, I'm cool with that you know <laughs> the consummate introvert <laughs> and i've lost weight during covid just from stress from like stress alone wow. of like how i'm gonna ma- how i'm gonna maintain my business right how i had to change things up to keep to keep bringing in income and, and, you know, all the different things and that all the crap happening in the world and is democracy leaving the country, you know, like all that stuff. I'm just like <laughs> the stress See, and then having COVID and not being able to eat for days, <laughs> keep any food down except for my mom's homemade soup. COVID <laughs> or stress, stress has the opposite effect to me. I balloon under stress. Mm. <laughs> Because I stress, you know, I, I have I have food related things as it relates to stress to, eating, to stress, yep. you know. So, um, you know, as 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 we we talk about this season, you know, um, 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 it's apropos because for me as a pastor, I I was ordained and appointed to uh, a pastorship in Duluth during the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, after having been trained and come up and prepared to lead a congregation in person, I had to figure out how to do it online, and now, um. Sunday is our 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 first in-person worships tradition you know worship service. We had uh an outdoor in-person event because Juneteenth fell on Sunday and so we did our worship outside. So that was technically our opening, but this is the first time we're going to be in the building and I don't know how to act. Um I I was I I was almost moved to tears, you know, prior to us coming in person. I guess I was a guest preacher at um one of our sister churches, our local churches in Duluth. And it was the first time that I had preached in front of a congregation in two years, um, live. And and there are some dynamics. You know, this is a predominantly white UCC church, um, and and I went in in my black church tradition, you know, space. To, you know, talking about freedom connected to South Africa, Mandela, and 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 so there was this interesting dynamic, and in where they got to folks, it, it was it was emotional. 
And I have a feeling that I'm headed for a similar emotional response now that at first, for the first time in the church that I was appointed to, we we're going to be in person. And it'll be at a space and in a time when um, babies can now get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And so I've got children for the first time that I haven't seen because they're like, yeah, we, we ain't going to be on Zoom. You know, it's hard enough to get folks to pay attention to to church service, which we're trying to change. We're trying to address, but then I'm especially not going to do it at Zoom. But I'm seeing kids. I saw babies this past Sunday that I hadn't seen before outside who now are going to actually be able to set foot because they can get vaccinated in there. So, you know, it has been stressful for all the reasons that we've said so far. But I have this 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 hope that is is burgeoning in front of me because I'm starting to get to do some things with some precaution and with safety in mind, of course, that I hadn't done in a long time. And I'm starting to feel a sense of return of that. I'm like, like you, Don, that, that in-person feel, um, even if it's not a whole lot of people, Lee, I have to imagine that being able to kick it with some of the homies in ways that you haven't been able to kick it with before in small fashion, <laughs> Um, is it going to bring, you know, some, some, all of our coping stuff? Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't long ago. You know, as we wrap up today, it wasn't long ago that we, Don, were, were connecting with you as you had to modify a whole lot of things in regards to your mother, in regards to family members. Um, you know, we have, over the past couple, several years, um, had lost friends, family members. Mm-hmm. We have had to, to change how we do things. We have had scares ourselves mm-hmm. um, in regards to COVID. Shoot, I got stuck out of the country for an extra week, um, you know, as, as a COVID thing, you know, just, just doing some good work. And so we have come a long way. So I just, I want to say, y'all, Counter Stories crew, take a good healing, as Dr. Joy Lewis tells us, you know, take a good healing breath. Because we done been through some stuff, y'all, together as a as a podcast <laughs> through this pandemic and all of this. And um, I think it, you owe it to yourself to take a good breath, look at yourself in the mirror, say you are brilliant, you are beautiful, um, you is smart, <laughs> you is kind. <laughs> I saw that movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think it's important for us to take some time to do that. This has been great checking in with you all, doing a grab bag episode, connecting with you all. Um, too bad Luz couldn't be here, so we're going to have to get her check-in um, in a while because she is also somebody who's pretty COVID-weary and takes some very serious specific mm-hmm. precautions. Uh, I, we need to have our deputy attorney general be somebody who takes precautions, who, who pays attention to that stuff. But um, it's been a blast to hear and, and connect with you on this grab bag episode. Hopefully, we've been able to touch on a little bit of how our, we in, in our communities are looking at some of the day's news. And we know that you have a lot of stuff that is coming up onto your plate. And so if we can't say nothing else here on Counter Stories, take it from the communities of color who have been enduring all of these things and still participating in making this nation great, for real. Uh, (laughs) um, Take a breath. Take your breath. Look in that mirror and tell yourself, you are brilliant. You are beautiful. You is kind. You is smart. You is everything that you need to be. I'm Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota, and senior partner at Dendros Group. Don Eubanks, associate of Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians. Without Luz here to be our optimistic voice, thank you, Pastor Anthony, for those words. I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group and producer of Counter Stories. This has been Counter Stories, a co-production of the Counter Stories crew, the Other Media Group, and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support 
from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For our full conversation, please visit counterstories.com.